Hello, Sorensen Sound. I feel like you can already tell the acoustics are different because my fan is off. I can't remember if I usually turn it off. I definitely comment on it often. And my feet are up the wall. If you know me, then you probably know that this is something I do. It honestly started with swimming. One of my coaches, um, like freshman or sophomore year of high school, told me to do this before all of my meets because it was good for you and then I was like well why don't I just do it all the time so I do it all the time now and also this has been on my mind but you can like check the Spotify stats for the podcast and so I do that every once in a while they're very low and because I took my little break they've gotten lower um they also aren't the most reliable I feel like um because people can like download podcasts and do whatever and some of my friends will be like oh I watch like listen to this thing and they'll like say something from it or like mention something about it like oh this episode whatever but then like in Spotify like the demographics it'll say that like no one listened to that episode and I'll be like that's someone clearly did because how else would that be referenced Anyway, long story short, the one person that they do consistently say, they say is an 18 to 22 year old male from America. And I don't, I'm not friends with anybody that fits that description. <laughs> um, or like certainly no one that would know about this, like people in my class, I guess. Sure, some of them. But they're 22. Any of my male friends from America are older than that. Any international male friends are international. Maybe that someone accidentally chose male when they made their Spotify and it's actually just one of my girlfriends. I don't know. But I'm perplexed. So if this is you, text me question mark or don't. I'm just curious. Um, I am also just curious in general. But that's okay. Because <laughs> I've been listening to, like, the entirety of all the episodes. Or at least, like, letting them play in the background or something. I don't know. Because, um, yeah, I can also tell you when people, like, tune in or tune out or which sections. Um, so, if, you, if you've made it this far, good for you. This is the third time today that I've tried to make this episode. And it's because I was walking around doing it before and I was very severely overwhelmed Uh, but at the same time I like needed the podcast as an excuse to walk around if that makes sense Uh, I mean it probably doesn't but I feel as I've likely alluded to it before this idea that as a reason to do one thing I will do something else simultaneously so like I can feel good about doing the thing that I wanted so the podcast makes me feel productive and I needed to go on a walk for my own mental health reasons because I for the most part I've I've largely unpacked my relationship with food that's something I've thought about quite a fair amount gone to therapy for been in recovery from eating disorders for years obviously I've had relapses but largely recovered um but there are still a few foods where if I eat it then it will not will not end well for my silly little brain and I had one of them today um, not being intentional about it, just, like, 
I was just hungry and I was like, uh, I'm in the library. This is what the vending machine has. It's Sour Patch Kids, by the way. <laughs> it's the watermelon Sour Patch Kids. Um, like, I did not finish them because I felt sick to my stomach after a few. But in my head, I just associate that with a time, with them with the time that I gained weight. And so it's a very scary food for me, even though I've unpacked a lot of stuff uh, surrounding that. It's still just attached to, like, a generally dark time in my life and the morality of which, or the difficulties I kind of projected onto the weight gain, even though that's just a natural part of going through life. Um, so it was spiraling, and I just wanted to walk because that's how I think best. Um, but then I ultimately realized that what I had in mind to discuss, um, happens to be a difficult topic for me, and I didn't know that, and that would be, uh, like, neurodivergence and mental health, because I tend to be kind of, like, a go-to source on that for a lot of people in my life, especially those who are neurotypical, um, yeah, I just get asked lots of questions about my experiences or what I've learned in psychiatry because I've spent years <laughs> going to the psychiatrist that I went to until I was 18 from starting on and off from the age of five. So I have a lot of professional exposure, even though I was not the professional. Um, so I'm used to talking about it in rather in terms that are quite removed from myself. And for the first time, I was kind of looking at it um, from the light of not only how has neurodivergence affected my life, then um, like how I go through it, like how how does the way I think affect my life? Like that's kind of a basic question. That's something I've gone through very very thoroughly with my psychiatrist. But it's I've never unpacked the stigma of it. I don't think for myself because I was too busy living it to to think about um what it meant per se and I realized as I was stumbling through these recordings that the stigma of mental health has affected me a lot and it's something that bothers me and has really influenced a lot of how I behave because um my mom's not the most accepting <laughs> of my my neurodivergence which sounds silly because it's like regardless of if she accepts it or not that doesn't like I still have these differences you know the differences don't go away just because someone is intolerant um and it's kind of, it's always been a little strange to me and I think maybe that's part of why I never pushed on that particular element further is that it's only some of them some of them some think she's like yeah, that's fine. Like, I feel that way too. Or like, in some cases, you'll be like, yeah, I have that. And I'm like, girl, girl, what? Like, I, it feels so arbitrary to me to pick and choose because I've never invalidated any of them. So I don't understand where she's coming from with that. And so as a result, because um, kind of some context is that throughout my life, various teachers have asked my mom in like parent teacher conferences and things like that very outright they'll be like oh uh we kind of think that your daughter has ADHD 
and my mom would just always come back to me and be like can you believe that that's so like rude or offensive or something and I'm someone who has friends with ADHD and I was like what <laughs> like I was just very confused because I I don't know and rightfully so I feel like it's such it seems so random to just pick and choose ADHD as that kind of thing but as a result like I never got tested even though teachers expressed concern and then today I got lunch with someone from one of the other master's programs um and as well as another friend but we were talking and I kept pointing out like the music that was playing I'd be like oh this is like a funny mix that they've got going and like there was like EDM and then classical music um and he was just like and it was after I had pointed something of that nature out he was like you know do you have ADHD because I do and you just express a lot of things very similarly to me and I was like you know no I've never been diagnosed with it um and he's not because he's in another program I haven't spent much time with him but after lunch we walked to Chinatown to get fresh sugar cane juice because I saw it on Instagram a few days ago and I was so excited for it um because I had it for the first time earlier this year in Singapore and it was so good and it's like it's a I don't really like sugary drinks but it it just feels very like natural it feels very light and refreshing even if it, there wasn't ice it's just the kind of thing where it's like I like juice because it's slightly very slightly thick and I feel like for some reason the thickness feels more hydrating I don't know I don't, I don't know if that's placebo or just like what what that is about it is simply the case and the person that I was people I was visit ah <laughs> people I was told stories about um sugarcane juice by one of the people there and um while I did not divulge those stories to my new friend um I was glad to share the the drink itself and it was also nice to revisit the that kind of trust that comes with someone telling you any kind of story about their life even if it's something as mundane about like a food they enjoy and they'll be like oh my god there's this time that this person felt this way about this drink or this thing and it just it's such a privilege to even be able to hear those kinds of stories and it's something that means a lot to me and so it was nice to be able to reminisce while also get to know a new friend and um something I was thinking about was this idea of masking and I I realized that I'm very resentful um of the fact that I've had to mask so much for so long shout out Yuki Mishima Confessions of a Mask that I read a few years ago um great book um although doesn't quite it's a fiction novel so it's not doesn't fully address psychological conceptions of masking but it gives you very vivid understanding and one that's incredibly written so I highly recommend is the point I don't know how well the audio is going to turn out with with my phone on my chest um my feet are sufficiently numb but I'm still laying down and um yeah, because both him and I, this new friend, had to mask for different reasons. 
Um, so, side note, uh, something I've learned from a lot of my friends is that ADHD is severe, like, it's a properly understood study phenomenon that ADHD is underdiagnosed in women because gender is a construct, and part of that construct is socializing young girls to quote-unquote behave as women. Um, it's the start of that lifelong panopticon, baby. Uh, we love internal case. Oh. Um, but basically a lot of the behaviors associated with ADHD, uh, women are not allowed to demonstrate uh, because it's not something that is ascribed to them and therefore to act as such you're seen as less of a woman and so you just learn how to cope in your own way how to express things differently no matter how much that's not natural to you how much that's not natural to anybody but you have this extra disadvantage in that you're so you're too young to know your own mind let alone to know the differences in your mind from someone else's um as well as the fact that medicine um, I also got very riled up about this earlier and had to literally take a break. The medicine um, just what does women so dirty, <laughs> in short, that um, most studies when it comes to mental health are very focused on how it's presented in men. And even though mental health is what mental health is, like everything has its own basis, has its own grounding is in reality that socialized element does drastically change output and can therefore very much underserve anyone that isn't a man um and it does in term then for mental health um or physical health uh it's devastating and i so many people even within medical communities will be like oh it's such a shame that this happened because we didn't have the research. And I'm like, if it's really such a shame, then go out and do the fucking research. Um, <laughs> you know? And side note, this is some advice that I gave to someone I met this weekend because she's, I did a little podcast episode, but she's younger than me, the person that I was like, oh, it's kind of a moment in time, but she was split between um, multiple fields of study, but she wants to get at the same thing. She's really invested in fighting income inequality, and she wants to come at it from two different lenses, but she's like, I think this one could be more monumental, but this is just what I'm better at and what makes the most sense to me, and I was like, yeah, I, th I think you should go with that one. Like, it's it's not always about making the biggest impact. It's kind of about doing what your skills what, you, what you're naturally adept at because it's not going to help anybody if you're in the nicest way possible if you're bad at medicine and but you just like care about injustice it's not going to help anybody there's there's other ways that you can help make the change that you want to see in the world while doing what you're good at and it's about finding how those relate to one another and that's hard enough um not everyone's made for the same things, and that's okay. Um, like, I I care so much about um, the medical field, and I have so many wonderful friends that I'm so excited for them to become doctors because I think they'll make a great change. Um, 
but it's not me. <laughs> it is not me. I've considered med school a few times because I'm like, I get so fired up when I hear something. Um, and thus I know a lot and could talk about it forever. Um, but I'm also the girl that cried in the hallway anytime we had to do a dissection. So, you know, just like, it's not looking good for me to, to actually make a change. But I digress. It's just, I hope that's comforting, but also motivating. Um, motivating to find what you're good at and kind of be able to accept it and then see how you're able to inspire others. And that's why, like, I've also had similar conversations with some of my friends that are, like, artists or that like to also like to write like I do. And stories are so integral to who we are as people and storytelling in any form, making art is such a part of the human experience. Like that is the why we care about the change, you know? And that's just as important. And so it's never foolhardy to make art and it's so sad that we make people feel that way. Um, knowing full well that we all consume those stories, that that's what we live for. Uh, it's heartbreaking to me. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it was just sugar cane juice <laughs> with this friend masking, um, realizing that I was resentful of it because, I mean, it's like I'm resentful that there's gender constructs, that there's so much that people have to, like, we muddle so much of ourselves for the sake of vaguely fitting some abstract presentation of self that's palatable to people <laughs> and in my case from a young age masking any of my signs of neurodivergence um it, it was very much forced upon me because it, it was difficult for my mom to live with someone so chronically <laughs> struggling um and she made that known to me um because she took it personally that I was not doing well and so I had to learn at a very young age to fix that to to me kind of what felt like I had to fix being a kid because it, she couldn't handle it and I had to be the one to do that and on top of that that means performing gender well that means performing all these other expectations perfectly I on paper I'm an incredible daughter and that's what she wanted me to be. And so that's what I was. Because if I was going to be per living up to people's standards, then I was going to do it the best possible. Um, and I think that kind of brings me to something that I've only just started thinking about in the last few hours. And that's this idea of pity. Which is, for me, being pitied is one of the most difficult things to deal with. Um, and I think that's what I was alluding to earlier when I'm saying that the stigma around neurodivergence has shaped me a lot because even as a kid, like you, you can tell that there's some kind of like gap between you and others. And there was a day that made that very clear to me, which I believe I alluded to in the first episode of this season. And it's the day that I essentially realized that like, how I was, was not only annoying to my mom, but to all of my friends. Um, 
And I didn't take that personally. I understood that it was a socialization thing and that they were, even at that age, I, I could grasp that it wasn't meant to hurt me, but it still did. Um, but I didn't, like, cry. I didn't, like, throw a fit. I didn't stand my ground, essentially, because I was already so used to adapting for the sake of others that I just kept doing what I was good at. And, yeah, because it's, like, in, in, in a society, you're expected to adhere to norms. And if you don't, people pretty much assume it's because you can't. That you have some intangible... There's something, there's something wrong with you, is what I'm trying to get at. And then they're like, oh. And so, in order to not question the fact that they're merely adhering to social norms, they will instead turn it into pitying you, or turn it into hate, or something else. And I've definitely had times where people, like, pitied me, because I was so deeply socially anxious, and I struggled so much for so long to talk to people after, because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings by existing, to be honest, (laughs) and that's why, like, I thrive so much in an academic setting, I think, because it makes sense to me, because on paper, like, anything on paper, it just clicks, (laughs) like, that's why I love writing, because it's the way that I can communicate myself, that people understand if I talk, um, for the most part, it gets really lost, and just, I can't make a point stick, because I just never had that practice, and that's why I realized, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit (laughs) reverse order here, but I knew, I took what I understood, which is that I struggled talking to people, and so I started to do this podcast, and now through this podcast, through forcing myself to talk, to figure things out in modes that aren't the most natural to me, whereas writing was natural to me, I've now found the reason why the talking was hard. And pity doesn't get easier. Or at least for me, it hasn't yet. Um, so I'm kind of notorious for not, for, for posting things on Instagram and deleting them. I, I've been good about it this year, like the last six or seven months, I've, I haven't deleted things. But the last couple of years, I would just get so, I would just have this feeling in the pit of my stomach that I was missing some social cue and that people were perceiving me differently than what I was trying to put out there. Even if it was just a silly picture from my day, I'd be like, oh, people are gonna think all these kinds of things about me and would just have the most nauseating feeling and would just have to delete even like a sweet little who knows, like, picture of a cat, I don't know, I don't think I ever actually delete a picture of my cat, but if I did, like, I, I just got so scared, even if I was intentionally subverting norms, I was so worried that people would think I was, it was unintentional, that I was posting something weird, because I couldn't hand, I, I, I couldn't figure out what was normal, um, 
nowadays, like, now, I'm just like, I, you know, the people that know me, they know me. And I hope they get it. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is something that I talked about this new friend. Oh, also, so, for me, it was rather gendered masking in general it's not as common that's why like it's typically easier for boys to get diagnosed with ADHD younger but it still took him a while to be diagnosed because he comes from a culture where it's in his own words just like everyone's kind of expected to hold their own socially everybody is expected to expected to adhere regardless of gender and it's just like if you aren't then it's like oh my god do you hate your community do you hate your family do you whatever um, like, what do you mean you don't want to be a part of this? Um, and becoming a part of it is just, occurs by acting the same as everybody else. Yeah. So, it was interesting, because even the conversation before any thing directly, uh, discussing neurodivergence in any capacity occurred, we were all talking at lunch about how, about the idea of being, like, open or caring or being willing to see, being willing to be seen trying is what I was getting at. Um, And I'm very willing to be seen trying, especially in a classroom setting. Something him and I bonded over is that we're we're both like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of don't shut up in class. Um, like, we, we wait for other people to raise their hand, and then they just don't, so we're like, okay, I got stuff to say, um, and it's opposite, like, we only say it when we mean it, and I feel as though that genuine excitement for understanding is very apparent in both of us, um, but, which one, oh yeah, we were also talking about the idea of people that were, like, quote-unquote, too cool for school, and we do acknowledge that, like, sometimes that's a mask or, like, a, that that's a mask in and of itself. That's a front that people are like, oh, this is an acceptable thing to act as until it's safe enough to, like, care. Um, where they're like, oh, like, like, it's just kind of like a stoicism to assess a situation. And that's all that they're really playing with. But there's, like, a gentleness under it. And that's its own thing. That's its own like very understanding of that but then there's people that kind of take that um to some deeper level and I'm forgetting honestly all the exact applications on maybe maybe even a core thing that we discussed about that um but the kinds of people that will like like they kind of write everything off as, like, being understood. They just have no active interest in engaging with material and with other people, and they're kind of fine with being lonely. And I'm like, are they really fine? And he was like, yeah, I think so. They just value something different. They value, like, getting a leg up on people, and that's their... And I was like, but to me, that still just sounds like a deeply avoidant person. That sounds like someone that, like, the only way to get close is, like, they have such bad trust issues. The only way to get close is to, like, play a trick 
And so that while you're playing the trick, you can get human connection. And then when you're scared, you can be like, ha, I lied. You're so stupid. And it's like the other person's like, I'm not stupid. I just like care about you, you know? And if that's stupid, then like maybe unpack your insecurity. Um, yeah. But just been a lot of grappling with that. And I think especially the idea of pity is something that's reemerged for me because WeChat's really interesting. I like WeChat a lot. Um, but it is a completely new social media, and especially when I struggled with something as simple as Instagram. When I, I, I believe I mentioned this in the podcast, but I do get confused because I we might have just been in a voice memo at some point to a friend. Um, but basically I was asking a lot of my classmates like what the etiquette kind of was or what posting some this thing said about you or this thing and they're like, oh, I don't really know what you're talking about. Just post what you want and this is how you do it. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess so. Um, so I've been doing that, but there are definitely things, like, kinds of posts that I do that will get more likes, or if it's just, like, a silly thing about my day, then there's, there's, like, two people that I have who are just my brighter dies. That we, anything we send in the chat, we will all respond to each other, the three of us. Even though we're not very close, but it's just that kind of support. Because I think the three of us I think I kind of realized after messaging one of them where he was like, oh, are you an introvert too? After like something I said. And I was like, yeah, but I'm trying to be an extrovert. And he's like, me too. And I think we both thought the other was an extrovert. And then this third person, I believe, is probably the same case. We're all, we can all tell that we're trying really hard. Um, And I appreciate that trying. I appreciate that recognition, that mutual support, you know? Um, because again, that goes back to not being afraid to be seen trying, like not being afraid to care. And as much as people can tease you for that, I personally, before when I was someone who is like stone cold face, I don't know what that phrase is. Um, I always appreciated it when other people were open because that made me feel comfortable and it's also what let me trust them when I was trying to have a poker face. Um, so it's nice to see that sometimes what we do means other people can care more freely. Um, and it can set a good tone or break down some boundaries. Um, and that definitely happened a few weeks ago when I was a little drunk and I sent stuff in the chat and the chat had been dead before that for like a week and then after I did that it was very lively because I think I inadvertently sacrificing myself in terms of embarrassment which is something um I believe I've discussed but in 2022 that was my year of not feeling embarrassed so I don't feel embarrassed um and I do believe that pity and embarrassment are probably linked for most people but to me pity kind of it's more a degree of helplessness is what I associate it with like it's just such an impasse it's just such a complete something went over someone's head just a complete inability to communicate uh, an idea or a feeling or a mood to the point that there's 
just like palpable albeit empathetic but sadness for another person and it's um it's uncomfortable to be able to feel that chasm occur um especially because like in my experience being neurodivergent I can I like almost 100% of the time I can tell when I'm talking too much about something I care about like you can tell when someone's losing interest or you can tell when they want to say something but there's like an itch in my brain that's like I have to finish my thought I have to finish my thought even though it's like to no avail like nothing's gonna like come up like I'm not creating something I'm not whatever I'm not changing a life and clearly the other person's no longer actively listening so I don't even have their attention um and (laughs) I still just like have to hit it home and for the most part I I don't let myself get into situations where I'm passionate where I talk passionately about things I still mostly reserve that for writing um I'm much better at just listening just listening and asking questions um something that I believe I've said also recently how often do I say that um (laughs) but is the idea that uh that doesn't that didn't let people get to know me I wasn't being vulnerable it was still me controlling my image um and just wanting to be seen as capable because I know how capable I am I'm I think this is part of where this addresses some other complexity for me is that I am a deeply confident person I know how capable I am like I am so certain that I could do whatever I put my mind to there's not a speck of doubt within me um and at the same time I get so anxious about other people and you would think that someone that's so self-assured wouldn't be so nervous but I guess that's kind of like lies the one thing is that when it's time to be genuine when it's time to talk about something that's the one thing I can't I couldn't do I can now and I will continue to be able to but it was just so such an impenetrable barrier for me for so long and I think that's probably part of why I was so so dearly and I still do I mean cling on to the idea of like a friend for life like everyone in my life is here for the long haul I think it's partially because I'm sure on some level I was just insecure that like nobody could want to be around me unless they they'd seen me long enough to understand my net average Uh, you know even though it is for me I care just so much about people and I do just want to like selfishly I just want to see them forever but letting go of those selfish intentions I realize that that's probably part of it is I some part of me thinks I could only be accepted if they've known me long enough um, yeah. So, where was that going? I don't know. Let's see how long this has been. 35 minutes. I guess this could just be some quick thoughts. It's weird how, I mean, obviously time passes differently for different feelings, but I just feel as though I've, in a 
way covered less than other similarly lengthy um, episodes. I think it's because... I don't know. I believe that this has truly made me a lot better about storytelling events in my day-to-day life. And when I tell those stories and then I glean things from them and then I am able to weave my webs, um, that's when it feels more filled, more satisfying even. And this episode doesn't feel satisfying, but maybe it's just because the feelings that I talk about are still very raw, still very much being processed. Um, so let's call it that, and let's call it a night. I'm so tired. The sugarcane juice is so good. So yes, today I had some chicken and rice, and then I had a sugarcane juice, and then sour patch kids, the watermelon kind. And because I was so freaked out by it, and all I did was walk around, and I didn't do anything else, was the point. And I'm really hungry. <laughs> but um, grocery stores are closed at this hour. The only thing that would really be open is a bodega. And I don't really want anything a bodega could offer me. Because <laughs> for the most part, it is pretty unhealthy. And when. I feel as though I've been unhealthy because I ate unhealthy today. Lifestyle-wise, it was active, so that's fine. But going to bed so hungry. Uh, I called my mom earlier, and I literally asked her, I was like, what should I have for dinner? And she was trying to give me suggestions, and I was like, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But I also, I would like to note that I don't put any, I, although I don't at all understand whatever stigma she has against certain mental health situations, like, whatever her outbursts about ADHD are, like, I'm sure there's a reason that she has that, and as much as I do believe we should hold people accountable to un- unpack their unconscious biases, like, I... I was in no position to do that when I was fighting for my life mentally for so long. Um, yeah. But it was so it was so nice to have someone that could, like, keep up with me in terms of conversation. Because um, I do think that that's also a difficulty I had, is that whenever I was genuinely invested, I didn't know how to slow down. Which is another revelation of mine lately, is that when I'm... As soon as... Because for so long, I was not allowed to be genuinely expressive because, like, kids at that age, like, didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know what to do with someone that knew so much about the most random stuff. Like, they, they couldn't see what I was talking about. And it was just, like, I, it felt so important to me and no one could get it. And so it's like, ah, oh, fine, I just won't talk about it um, and just let it go. And now whenever I... I get the chance to care. <laughs> I I get so into it that it's just it, it it's to a point of detriment and that's I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm working on it. 
um, working on being more genuine more often, trying in the face of people as well as books, um, you know, um, but yeah, this is so nice, because we both, we both know so much is so fun, and because we think similarly, and we've both had so, like, neurodivergent people have had so much practice sitting and listening, because for, regardless of background, like, we've had such similar experiences of, like, for the most part, you're always told to learn how to wait, how to listen, how to everything like that. And so when you meet someone that you can unmask with, it's like, oh my god, you're a great listener, I'm a great listener, and we can both talk endlessly and have such fun, stimulating conversations. And it is true that, like, at this point, that happens to me rather infrequently. Um so that this uh, it was taxing like it was hard for me because now I've kind of assimilated to a certain level of neurodivergence where or sorry of neurotypical people like most of my friends are rather neurotypical except for almost ADHD children but a lot of them are medicated so then it kind of you know (laughs) neutralizes that (laughs) to some degree um so yeah, it'll just be exposure, but it was nice. It was nice to just have, be able to talk to someone when I can usually only journal about it. And this is also, side note, sorry, I just said I was going to bed. But, I do, like, on some level I kind of wonder if I just, like, romantically have to be with someone that finds that part of me I mean like you you want to be someone that finds every part of you endearing but specifically like they have to like when people go on little tangents like they regard regardless of what it is they have to like like that conceptually that I'm can be quite talkative you know um cause I it's not as though I'm like i just, like, never shut up, like, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person, and because my mind's so active, that was a problem for, that was a problem for me for a long time, that I thought I said more than I did, because I thought so much, and I was like, oh, I thought this near you, or I thought it because of you, or I thought it because of something you said, so I thought your mind would just trail off in the same way, um, and, like, obviously it wouldn't, but that didn't click for me for quite a, for quite a while, <laughs> and used to cause a lot of problems in my life, um, so I want someone that, like, I can express myself with at any time, and I know that I have a difference in expression. Um, so, and I honestly thought of <laughs> the reason I was thinking about that, it's completely unrelated to today, uh, but there's two people in my class, they are, it's completely platonic, two just straight men, um, two straight men falling in love platonically. It's so fun, because one of them, he um, has autism, and he's, like, very earnest in a lot of his expressions. Um, he's so funny. Chill guy. I want to be friends with him. I'm making, I'm making my friend moves on people. Um, in this celibate and sober time. I was like, what's the other word? 
<laughs> I make friend moves. Um, just indefinitely. <laughs> um, so he's one of the people I want to be friends with. But anyway, I'm watching him and this other person, and anytime the one guy who happens to be neurodivergent, like, says anything, the other one just, like, looks at him so adoringly, and I need, I think that that might be a situation that I need, and I've had that, and it's wonderful, and it worked, um, so much more than anything else, but I don't want that to be, like, romanticized, romanticized is the wrong word, but it kind of feels like I don't want someone to, like, inf- it, it, it feels a bit more like infantilization because it's, like, not, not, not these people in class, but sometimes I've seen it where it's, like, oh, it's, it's kind of like how people will fetishize, like, could fetishize anything, well, they'll be, like, oh, my blank ethnicity girlfriend, and I'm, like, um, that is simply your girlfriend, please stop mes- mes- mentioning her ethnicity. Um, that makes it seem like you're going to replace her with the next person of said ethnicity that you meet. That's really weird. Please stop. Um, and at the same time, there's a lot of people lately who will be like, oh, my bisexual boyfriend, whatever. And it's like, he's more than his sexuality. Thank you very much. But it's like that with like any marginalized group, which does include neurodivergence, where it's like, I don't want someone like that because there are definitely people who will be like, oh my God my girl, she's so depressed, and I'm like, shut the fuck up, like, that, like, she is struggling, please, please stop, you know, um, so I don't want that, but, like, someone, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say simply is I want someone that can accept me, and that's a part of me, and I don't know why that's so hard for me to say, um, yeah, just in general, though, side note, I think that you should be with someone that makes you feel, makes your inner child feel very safe. And I mean, I hope I do that for everyone in my life. I hope that everyone feels safe with me, but I know that it takes something very special to feel any kind of, like, deep spark kind of thing. And I'm very lucky to have felt that um, twice in my life. Uh, And It's kind of weird, because when someone brings you back to life in a certain way, or brings back a certain je ne sais quoi, a certain joie de vivre, I know I said that like a fucking American, I did, it's on purpose. Is there enjoy de vivre? Um, it's all, it's intentional, please. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Um, each time is different. Because it's not just the you you were, because obviously you've changed. And the fact that someone was able to comfort something that you had repressed in a way is unique to them. And so it, with every revival... It's their own renaissance, for lack of a better term. But it's, like, the ways in which they show you how to be comfortable with yourself again are their own. And so, in all the ways you express yourself from there on out, it's related to them. 
And so I'm in a second renaissance. Uh, I have been for <laughs> a while. But I'm only just now calling it that, I guess. Or able to acknowledge it because I was scared. Because my first renaissance ended in heartbreak. Because that person, we're so close, but it's still ended in heartbreak. And so I was scared and now I was scared again. And you just have to hope that it's not too late. And so... But part of that was learning how to be seen trying. And so I'm not afraid to be seen trying. And it's okay if that's not always graceful on the outside. <laughs> because I know that I carry myself very well. I'm very confident, like I said, with most things. And how I carry myself is something I'm very comfortable in. I'm very comfortable with myself. And it's just this external factor that's been... It's in the in the works. Um, and yeah. I don't want the Renaissance to end. I wanna be kids with person forever. Um <laughs> I don't know what that song was. Why do I do that? Why do I sing just the most random stupid little lines sometimes? Anyway. Um, I hope you got something out of that. I don't know if I did. (laughs) Okay, love themes.